When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is sort of awesome. Hello and welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all of the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 179 of Sorta Awesome. And if you've listened to last week's episode, then you know that this year on Sorta Awesome, our theme is Awesomes Know How. We are so excited about the year ahead because even though We've like sort of always been all about learning new things and helping each other figure out life along the way. This year, we're going to get really specific and really practical. And don't worry, because of course, we'll still be having lots of fun along the way. But my goal, my heart and my vision for the year ahead is at the end of the year on New Year's Eve 2019, that every single awesome will be able to look back and say, oh, my goodness. I learned so much this year. Now, because you guys are already the most smart, proactive, thoughtful, enthusiastic people on the planet, I've already started to hear from some of you who've been sharing your topic ideas with me, your guest recommendations. So here's what we're going to do. We want to start collecting those ideas that you have for our Awesomes Know How year. So whether you want to tell us about something that you know how to do and that you're ready to share with the Awesome Nation, Or if you have someone in mind who's really great at teaching people how to do a thing, either way, we want you to email us at team, T-E-A-M, team at sortaawesomeshow.com. My very awesome producer, Sarah, will be collecting these ideas from you guys so we don't lose track of anything. Trust me, you do not want to trust your ideas just to me because they will get lost, I promise. But Sarah is much more awesome at that than I am. So we're going to remind you through the year, don't feel like this is, you only have like one shot to email us. But again, if you want to volunteer yourself or recommend a guest or even a topic to us, just send us an email with the subject line, awesomes know how, to team at sortaawesomeshow.com. Okay, this is episode 179. I am joined by the ever lovely, ever curly haired, ever helpful. Rebecca Hoffer of simplyrebecca.com. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Meg. Hi, awesomes. So we just dropped our curly girl extra awesome. 
last week. And I have already been hearing so many like helpful tips and solutions and new product recommendations from the awesomes. Have you also been hearing all of this, Rebecca? There has been a lot of buzz about this episode. It's been fun. I think there really is like a movement like we curlies and wavies are taking back our hair. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And we need to help each other. Yeah, we do. Definitely. Because there's a lot to figure out. The world of curly or wearing your hair natural come a long way in the past few years, even I feel like. So anyway, we are not talking curly hair today. What we are talking about is something that I think is on everybody's minds every January. And it's like what to do with all of this clutter. I mean, decluttering is a buzzword every January. It's everywhere right now. So here's the thing. We want to help you kind of fight through the overwhelm for some of us decluttering and keeping our homes Not only like actually going through the process, but then keeping them decluttered can be very overwhelming. We want to help you guys figure out what's going to work best for you based on your lifestyle, your season of life, your personality. Get some decluttering solutions in place. In fact, we have five solutions that you can take action on right now, even if you're a perceiving type like me and Rebecca. (laughs) You're (laughs) going to be hearing from an ENFP and an ESFP. We're not always known for taking action really quickly, are we, Rebecca? Well, no, no, we're not. (laughs) But these are things that even we can do. So we know that it's going to help you kind of like process your thoughts about decluttering and actually go ahead and take some steps towards creating a home that you feel comfortable and peaceful and happy about when you walk through the front door. So we're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, let's do go ahead and start the show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's that moment in the show where we share with you about the books, the TV shows, the movies, podcasts, the products, whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome right now. So Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? I have a book that I read recently here over the Christmas season, and it was so good. It is a novel titled The Book of Essie by Megan McLean Weir. Okay. It came out in 2018 here in June, and I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. Yay. There's the protagonist, Essie. She's a junior in high school. She's part of a large conservative Christian family. In fact, her husband is a pastor. He's very well known. So well known, in fact, that they became reality TV stars. (laughs) Oh, my. Rebecca. This book was created in a lab (laughs) and actually written for you. I'm so glad you loved it. (laughs) I haven't read it, but this is very intriguing. I want to hear all about it. I know. Okay, so I am very well known for my infatuation with reality TV. And as soon as I heard that that was the setup for this novel, I was like, oh, yes, sign me up. I want to read this book. But I will say, even if you are not a fan of reality TV, you can enjoy this book. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy this book. You don't have to be, if you are a Christian, you don't have to read it and be scared of how they're going to portray Christians. It's just an overall good fiction novel to read. You don't have to be in love with reality TV. But that definitely is a huge plot line and moving point for this book. So early in the book, very, very early in the book, not a spoiler at all, we learn that Essie is pregnant. Now, remember, she's a junior in high school. She's not married. Mm, Okay. This is very controversial for this extremely conservative Christian home. Obviously, huge problem. 
So then in the rest of the book is spent figuring out what should be done about the pregnancy, especially in light of their spotlight that's on them with this reality show. Yeah. So you're spent figuring out what to do about the pregnancy while also uncovering family secrets. And there's this manipulative power struggle between Essie and her mother in particular. And as a reader, you can see everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. But if you were just a casual observer in the family, I think it would be probably really confusing. Like who actually is in control here? Who actually is controlling everything and calling all the shots? Mm -hmm. It really was a very good read. It's the type of novel where it switches each chapter is somebody else's viewpoint. Oh, okay. Somebody else's perspective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like that can be done in kind of an obnoxious way where you're like, ah, I just got really into this person's head. Now I have to switch and learn from this person. But in this case, it's done very well. It's not obnoxious. It's very beneficial even to have these different outside perspectives on what is happening. It was a really good read. Definitely a story that has some grit to it. It's about broken relationships, broken people, manipulation, okay, living in the spotlight. Again, the book is titled The Book of Essie by Megan McLean Weir. Okay. This reminds me, I've been meaning to ask you this for ages. Did you ever read, this was a book that was on my recommendations for summer reading last year. Did you ever read Nice Try Jane Sinner? No, I've not heard of it. Okay, I want you to read it next because I think you'll like it. It is also, it deals with this idea of interacting with like real life and reality TV kind of in a little bit more of a microcosm because it's a college-based reality TV that's supposed to be like Big Brother. Okay. And it's really good. So it's called Nice Try Jane Center. I talked about it last May or whenever we did our books and reading for the summer. It's by Leanne Elke. And I think you'd really like it. It's a very fast read too. And just, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So I'm going to put in a plug for that again. Okay. I will add it to my list. Thank you very totally. much. Okay. My awesome of the week this week is the, this is a mouthful. So bear with me. The Cultivate What Matters Power Sheets Goal Planner. It's from Laura Casey. Now, if you are into or even adjacent to the world of like planners and all of that stuff that kind of get your life together and get yourself organized, you've probably heard of power sheets. People who love power sheets, like really super love their power sheets. I have to tell you, Rebecca, I have been really hesitant to even look into this for a long time because just the name power sheets, I was like, this is not for me. (laughs) I'm not like, I'm going to get out there and tackle the world this year kind of person. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I have a friend who is infatuated with her power sheets. And she's talked to us a little about working through different pages and, you know, these realizations that she's come to. And she's a huge fan. And I am a little surprised that that is what you're bringing today. I'm surprised too. (laughs) Everybody be prepared because maybe this is the year where I start talking about power sheets every week on the podcast. Bring it on. I think they sound fascinating. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is why I've been hesitant because again, I was just like, I'm not a goals person. Like I'm not a sit down and write out your goals and do a goal check-in. It's never worked for me. But people that I love and trust, like Laura Tremaine did these last year and she thought it was fantastic. So... I happened to catch that Laura Casey had launched a podcast that's called Cultivate Your Life. And in the opening episodes of her podcast, it's just her talking so far anyway. 
in her podcast, she talks about the fact that she also is actually not a natural goals-driven person. And so she, yeah, exactly. She sort of created a system of understanding how to create your life, cultivate your life. That's her whole thing, but not coming from like a natural, like real power, goal-minded kind of point of view. See, for me, that's a game changer because I'm in the same boat as you when you were talking about how you have approached goals in the past. You're speaking my language. And I appreciate getting direction from people who can relate to my struggles. So that's a game changer for me. I always assumed that she probably thrived off of this stuff, like lived and breathed goal setting. I thought so too. And so when I heard her say that, this was like sort of like end of December, beginning of January, I was listening to her while I was like decluttering. And I was like, okay, like maybe I could do this. So my thing with goals is I've always really struggled with putting words to like my goals or even really knowing the difference between what having just an idea is and then like what having a goal is. And so I have failed a million goal setting projects. Anyway, I got it. I invested in it. It is exactly what I need because it helps you really start with the big, big, big picture. And then she walks you through the process of taking all of your big picture thoughts and dreams, because I can live in that space. I can like go to the big picture, dream big, like all of those things. That's not a problem for me. So she starts there and then she walks you through and helps you to narrow down and sort of sort and organize your thoughts and your dreams and your ideas until before you know it, you've got some goals that you've set for the year. So Again, this is a goals planner. And so for the rest of the year, she has a setup where every month you're tending to things and you're evaluating things. And Rebecca, I love this part so much because in the beginning, you're like writing down, like she eventually leads you to where you're writing down. You can write up to 10 goals for the year. And she's like, I give you permission that if in three months you want to change these goals, you can change these goals. I was like, Oh, how kind of her. She knew you needed that. Exactly. That's the other thing. I get so completely paralyzed because I'm like, what if I want to change my mind? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so far I'm in the opening stages where you do, it is like a workbook. You just start working through page after page. It's like the best kind of navel gazing ever because you're just thinking about yourself and your identity and all of these things. It's really fantastic. So I can see why people love them. I will say the price point is higher than I have spent on other goal systems. $58 is the retail price. Now they are running specials on their website where you can get like 25% off. I'm sure they'll be running specials throughout the month of January at least. So when I shared on my personal Instagram that I was doing the power sheets this year, somebody messaged me to say, so if you're going to do that, what are you going to use for your actual like day-to-day planner? People always love to talk planners with other people. So I did the passion planner last year, which I super love, but it's a lot of goal talk too. So I didn't want to double up on all of that. I still super love the passion planner. It's a fantastic planner, but this year I just got like a little spiral bound. It's the day designer line that's for target. It was like $11 and it has just like your monthly spread. It has tabs along the side, which I really appreciate. And then you have your weekly spread and it's very simplified like just a minimalist daily planner. So I'm going to do that for my day-to-day appointment, keeping track of all that stuff. Great. Yeah. I'm telling you guys, be prepared. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is probably not going to be the last time you hear me talk about power sheets and the cultivate your life, the whole movement. So I'm, you know, just a few years late to the game for sure. I love it. Can't <laughs> wait. Bring it on. Those are our awesomes of the week. We will, of course, have links in the show notes for this episode where you can find out more information about all of this. You know that we want to hear about what is awesome in your life this week. So come find us over on Instagram where we talk about this every Friday morning at Sort of Awesome Show. And if you haven't already, come join our Facebook community where we talk about Awesomes of the Week every Friday and all kinds of other awesome things in life. You can find us over there at facebook.com slash groups slash Sort of Awesome Hangout. Hey, Awesomes. Believe it or not, it wasn't that many years ago when one of my New Year's resolutions was to learn how to do a perfect smoky eye. Well, it took me until about the end of January to realize that me and eyeliner do not get along. Sometimes those resolutions just don't work out the way they're supposed to. But here's a resolution that you actually need to make this year. Get rid of all those sketchy ingredients in your deodorant once and for all. Now you can ditch the aluminum and still keep it fresh with coconut deodorant from Kapari. Maybe you've tried aluminum-free deodorant in the past and thought it wasn't for you. Honestly, I had given up the search on a natural deodorant. I have tried so many and all of them failed me. But trust me, this deodorant is for you. Kapari's deodorant is formulated with plant-based actives like sage oil and coconut oil. It's going to outlast your longest days. And I love the subtle scent of Kapari. It smells so sweet and fresh, but the scent is never overpowering. You just smell clean in the best way possible. Unlike a lot of traditional deodorants, Kapari's deodorant goes on smooth and doesn't leave behind a sticky white residue. And most importantly, it's vegan and free of silicone, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, and baking soda, so it's great for sensitive skin. Reordering is easy with a Kapari deodorant subscription. It's shipped as often as you choose automatically for free. And Kapari offers a money-back guarantee, so there's no reason not to try it. Go to kaparibeauty.com awesome to make the safe switch today and save $5 off of your first order when you subscribe. That's Kapari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash awesome kaparibeauty.com slash awesome okay well like i said at the top of this episode i think decluttering is on everybody's brain right now it's definitely a january thing but i think people are kind of think about this through the year i know everybody's talking about it right now rebecca because marie kondo is on netflix right <laughs> That was my awesome of the week last week. There has been so much conversation in the Hangout group. The interesting thing to me, Rebecca, as I've kind of like read and participated in some of these discussions on Facebook about tidying up with Marie Kondo, people have big feelings about the decluttering process. Like you either really jive what Marie Kondo's approach is, for example, or you find it to be really annoying and really off-putting. And then you have like the people have really big opinions about the couples and the families that are featured on the show, what their process was like. It has been like from almost like an anthropological point of view. Oh, interesting. (laughs) It's been really fascinating to see all of these reactions to even just Marie Kondo talking about it. Well, that is interesting. I have not watched yet. It is on my radar. I certainly need to. I can use any decluttering inspiration I can get. And I did read her book way back in the day. So yeah, I'm curious about the whole thing. And is she just as like a woo-woo yeah. <laughs> in the show? Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. 
I feel like the woo-woo element of Hone Marie, her process is definitely dialed down for like, you know, American or Western viewers. Although I will say one thing that she does at the beginning of every episode, after she meets with the family and they kind of talk about their home life and what their goals are, is she takes a moment to sit on the floor of the house and greet the house. She'll just kind of like move into this very quiet, reverent, prayerful position and closes her eyes and she invites the family to, you know, sort of like express in their hearts their gratitude for their home. Your face looks so skeptical right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I definitely think that, you know, your home can like hold some positive and negative energy. I think that that's... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Probably a fit. I don't know. Whatever. Okay, moving on. Well, anyway, (laughs) that is probably like the most specific carryover from her book, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute more in depth. But that like little moment, I think is like one of the purest looks at how her Cone Marie system actually works. The rest of it is pretty practical. Of course, though, it is very joy driven. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of talk about what brings you joy because that's like the whole thing of Cone Marie. So, okay, we have five solutions that we kind of want to talk through for what it might look like to really have success this year for each and every one of us awesomes to get our spaces decluttered, whether we are single or married, whether we're just starting out in life or whether we're empty nesters or wherever we are. The reality is all of us live in a space and all of us have to navigate and decide like, what does our space say about us? And how does it reflect who we are and what kind of life we want to lead. So we have five solutions that we think are really applicable, not only to getting rid of clutter. What do you do after you've decluttered? What do you do with all of that stuff? We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about like, how do you keep it up through the year? Because that's a little bit of a struggle for me, Rebecca. Oh, same. I don't know how I landed (laughs) on this episode. (laughs) So listen, you guys. Just like Rebecca was saying, you are hearing from people who are not natural declutterers, but we have some ideas to help get you started. So the first thing that I want to suggest is you really have to choose the decluttering system that works for you. You cannot just pick the one that is trending or popular right now. Again, Cone Marie had a moment back in 2015 when Marie Kondo's book first came out. It's totally having a moment again right now, this whole idea of only keep the things in your house that truly bring you joy. But that is not going to work for everybody. In fact, like one of the biggest criticisms that I've seen for people who are watching the show is they are so annoyed that she, quote unquote, lets them, even though they're the bosses of their home, not Marie Kondo, that she lets them keep so much stuff. Well, people who have that critique, I think would be better served by sticking with an approach like minimalism. Mm -hmm. If you're a minimalist, your goal in looking at your space and deciding what stuff stays here is that you want to keep as little as possible. For whatever reason, it may just fit you philosophically. It may fit you practically. But for whatever reason, minimalism, and there's tons and tons of resources out there if you are more drawn to minimalism. There's a podcast, The Minimalist. It's like a documentary. There's definitely books. 
that can inspire you and give you practical application for that. But not everybody wants to be a minimalist either. (laughs) Right, right. So I think, I mean, because there's a lot of different things you can do. Of course, you can do KonMari. You could take a minimalism approach. If you don't want like a philosophical thing, if you're like, I don't care about the philosophy, I just need to get this stuff out of here. One approach that you could take would be like, do a trash bag a day. Or even one approach is more like a slow decluttering idea. Just set a goal for yourself that every single day you're going to get rid of 10 things that you don't need anymore or you don't want anymore or could best be used by somebody else. And I have kind of been doing this. I'm kind of doing like a hybrid system of KonMari and this idea of slow decluttering because I just frankly, with this pregnancy and busy home life, busy work life, I cannot take a month like the people who are on Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. They take like a month to KonMari their house top to bottom. I cannot do that right now. And I would be so frustrated if I was trying to do that. But what I can do is, okay, I can do 10 things a day. I can do three drawers a day or whatever and kind of do that. Now, Rebecca, I know that you have read books from and done a course, a decluttering course from a one-time sort of awesome guest, Dana White, who does the A Slob Comes Clean. That's her like sort of empire. (laughs) She has the books and the podcast and now she has a decluttering course. I want you to talk a little bit about that and if that has been an approach that's kind of jived for you. Yes, most definitely. I feel like I can relate to Dana more than anybody else when it comes to a decluttering lifestyle. The reason is, is because she also struggles with keeping her house clean, keeping it tidy. She understands the turmoil that goes into decluttering something and you truly feeling like, oh, shoot, but do I really want to get rid of this? What if I'm going to need this later? Or, but so-and-so gave this to me and I love so-and-so so so much. This is painful for me to get rid of. She understands all the emotion Mm -hmm. that goes into it and all of the spinning thoughts that can kind of go around in your head. And so what she has done is she has found ways to simplify her thought process, ask herself specific questions to help guide her, kind of shed off some of that emotion from the process because decluttering really can be so emotional. That's how I would describe it for her is that she's trying to guide you in a way that you can shed off some of the emotions. And she also does something that's interesting. And in contrast to Marie, she says that you should focus first on very visible areas. So while Marie's method, you start in your closet, Mm -hmm. you're literally starting in a room, a closed off space where... Dana says, hey, start in the space where you see this every day. You walk past this spot a hundred times a day. And how much better are you going to feel emotionally, mentally, all the clarity that you're going to have from eliminating the clutter from this spot? Because literally it's in your face all day long. And then, oh my goodness, well, once this space is clear, well, man, now I want to tackle this one and this one and this one. And she really speaks my language. And that's what I really appreciate about her. Now, I will say, although I found some aspects of Marie's method a little suffocating to me, like the parts of her her systems and routines, which I'm not very good at consistency. (laughs) So some of those things felt a little impractical to me. Like when I read her book, like removing everything from your purse every night. Or not keeping shampoo in the shower and these I forgot about that intricate one. folding methods. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. 
didn't everybody? I mean, who listened to that? I don't know. <laughs> but that felt a little suffocating to me. But I did find some freedom in her spark joy yes. philosophy. And I did my whole closet with her method years ago. And suddenly I felt permission to let go of clothing that I simply didn't feel good in. Maybe there was nothing else wrong with it other than it literally just didn't spark mm-hmm. joy. And I think that with decluttering, you can take bits and pieces, you know, from all around yes. to find your motivation. But I think the motivation probably is the key yes. for you to figure out what is best for you. So what is your big motivation for wanting to clear out your house? Is it simply because you have so much clutter that it literally is kind of like raising your mm-hmm. anxiety level? Is it because you really could use some money? Mm-hmm. And you want to get rid of things that you don't need money, but the idea of saving up money from items that you've sold for something specific, something fun really is motivating. You're motivated by money. Maybe that's something. Maybe it is the idea of you are an empty nester and you want to declutter your home for the next generation so that when you move on from this home, wherever it is that you're going, they don't have to deal with it. Maybe that's your motivation. Maybe you just really love a good challenge. And you can Google decluttering challenge and come up with like a million different things. Like you said, like a bag a day. I did one years ago where the challenge was to get rid of 100 items in a month. I mean, if you even just like maybe the competitive nature of a good challenge or you need the accountability of a challenge, there's tons of options for you. I think narrowing down what exactly your motivation is will help guide you what system you end up pulling from. Yes, that's so good, Rebecca. That is so true. I really do think that that is the key is figuring out why you want to do it and then kind of finding what's going to align. Because again, like I said, I'm kind of doing a hybrid. The idea of only keeping things that bring you joy, that really appeals to me on an emotional level. But again, practically speaking, there are some things about Kumari that are really difficult because she really does want you to pull everything out as you attack each category. She wants you to pull everything out. And if I were in a different moment in life, maybe I could do that. But the reality is I can't right now. So I'm kind of doing a hybrid where I'm doing a little bit of hers and a little bit of just work through it more like a slow declutter process. The other thing to consider too that we have to talk about is most of us don't live in a vacuum. Most of us have share our space with other people in some way. Now, if you're a single person, maybe you're thinking about like how you keep your workspace or whatever, even to some extent our vehicles, like all of those things, we have shared spaces. I am married to a total minimalist. He would live in (laughs) most stripped down, utilitarian, like I don't even know how to describe what he would like. The most minimalist thing you can think of, that's what he would want. He would probably even want to declutter that. (laughs) But that man has four children and another on the way. And so he's had to, you know, make compromises in terms of the spaces that most closely align with what he wants. So in our bedroom and in the kitchen, because I've said before in the show, Kyle does most of the cooking around here. So the kitchen is really a big workspace for him. We've gone super minimalist in those spaces where now his office is another story. I just close the door and he can do whatever he wants to do in there. But in our shared spaces in the bedroom and kitchen, it's much more minimalist because that's what brings comfort and joy to him. He's not going to bring minimalism to the children's bedrooms or really even into the living room where we do a lot of our family living. So again, it's figuring out what is going to be the most workable and you cannot make the decision. I just can't say this strongly enough. 
You cannot do this based on whatever is popular or trendy at the moment. We are so fortunate to live in a day and time where there's a plethora of choices and philosophies that you can choose from. So really hone in on what's going to work best for you, I think is the first best step. So I kind of already alluded to this when I was talking about the first clutter solution and decluttering solution, but I really want to drive the point home for solution number two. Once you figure out, like you said, Rebecca, the why of what you want to have happen in your house, create a system for when. When is this going to happen? Because again, most of us aren't going to be on a Netflix series where we can put our lives on hold for a month and do this. So for most of us, decluttering our house to do a big declutter has to happen in the midst of daily life. A system that has brought so much structure and happiness to my life is using time blocks, which I had not heard of before our friend Meredith Schwartz, who does Penelope Love's List, was on the show. She introduced that idea to me. I started applying it then. I don't know what I would do without time blocks now. It's just a time management system of looking at your day and blocking off blocks of time. From this hour to this hour, I do this. And I think it's so helpful for me because I am so easily distracted that I know, okay, from nine to 11, I am working on sort of awesome because I work from home. Then even if I get up to get a drink or go to the restroom, I'm not like, oh my gosh, this bookshelf is a mess again. I'm gonna have to declutter it right now. <laughs> right. You know, because I will do that. I'm yes. that person. <laughs> me too. So for time blocks, it gives me the mental permission and like the mental boundaries to be like, okay, that does need to be dealt with, but it's not right now. Mm, That's good. Since I've been doing time blocks, then what I've been doing since the beginning of the year is actually writing in my planner a block of time to do a little bit of decluttering. And that way, it just gives me peace of mind, not even so much to know that it's going to get done, but to know like it's not going to take over my whole day. It's like a... Mm. It's like a bite-sized moment of the day where I'm working on this and then I'm free to do all the other things of, you know, daily life. So that's what's really been working for me, but maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you're like, nope, I would hate to have to do a little decluttering every day. That sounds like torture to me. I just want to do it all in one weekend, you know? Well, okay, good. Make arrangements in your life, set up your life so that you have one weekend where you can go. See, I could never do this, but you can go top to bottom in your house or, you know, like whatever approach you want to take and knock it out in a weekend or knock it out over, you know, four weekends in a month, whatever it's going to be. But so I really do think that deciding when you're going to declutter is a huge part of the solution. Rebecca, are you a little at a time kind of person or do you like to do a big project? I really am more of a little at a time person. I think it's because I get mental fatigue. I feel like there's a lot of decisions that need to yes. be made when you're decluttering and decision-making is something that I can really struggle with. And I literally just get mental fatigue from it all. So for me, I definitely have to spread it out. Although I have certainly conquered big spaces and said like, okay, I am going to dedicate you know, this next day or whatever to this particular space and we're gonna get it done. That always goes best when I have somebody doing it with me. Really? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because 
when I start to feel like that mental fatigue of, oh my goodness, I could not possibly do this for another second more. Then that other person is there with me like, oh no, but like, yes, you can't. Like we're not leaving your house in this chaos. Like we are pushing forward. My mother has helped me with several spaces in my home. When she comes to visit, she loves having a project. God bless my mother. (laughs) It's amazing. And she's great. She speaks my language. She knows how my brain works. She's that perfect balance between saving and throwing things away. Like she can lean both ways. Like she has told me before, oh no, I think you'd want that someday. I think you should keep that. And Rebecca, for the love, get rid of that. You know, she's really good at that. But I couldn't do a whole big day Mm -hmm. without some outside influence. So for me, my lifestyle of decluttering (laughs) is definitely like bits and pieces here and there. That makes so much sense. Okay, last week I was talking about personality types, organization, productivity. Here's the thing about ESFP. ESFP and ESTP, those two personality types, your primary cognitive pull is towards extroverted sensing. Sensing is a perceiving function. So it's not necessarily about like going out and taking over the world. But the interesting thing is extroverted sensors really like the experience of something. Now, doing a decluttering project, it's not necessarily like about the fun experience, but I think it makes perfect sense that you want someone to do it alongside you because then it's an experience. Then it's a thing that you're doing with someone. It's not just you by yourself. ESFPs especially are highly, highly social people. And so I can totally see how just the enjoyment of having your mom or if it's Nate or whoever, I don't know if you and Nate would necessarily find decluttering together to be fun. <laughs> might, Maybe might not. get a little tense. <laughs> <laughs> or even if just a friend, I mean, my daughter, AJ, I'm convinced is an ESFP. I know she's only 11 and probably I shouldn't be typing her right now. But she's the kind of kid that she wants someone to come talk to her while she takes a bath. Like she wants someone to be there with her and it turns into an experience no matter what she's doing. (laughs) Okay, this is so funny because I cannot think of a time that I have decluttered something Uh without taking pictures for my blog, which Uh maybe the blog post never even got published. Maybe I didn't even do it. But taking before and after pictures for my blog, putting it on my Instagram stories, sending a complete documentation of the photos and the process to my girlfriends on Voxer. Like I have not had a single decluttering process that I did not make social. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) That's so fantastic. and so classic ESFP. The ESTPs actually are going to be the people who are going to like probably pay someone or manipulate someone into just doing it for them. But for an ESFP, because they're so highly social, if they can invite people into the process, again, to make it an experience, then even though it's not fun, they can like motivate themselves to do it. So that's perfect. I love it. That makes so much sense. So, oh, so fun. You know, I'm going to start talking about personality stuff at any given moment. (laughs) Bring it on. That's what we're here for. Hey, awesomes, it's winter. Do you have cabin fever yet? I know I do. This is the time of year when you just want to bust out of the house and maybe take a brisk walk around the neighborhood or go to your local gym and Zumba all your cares away. Whatever you're doing to keep the winter blues at bay, you've got to check out Fabletics. Fabletics was started by the beautiful and awesome Kate Hudson, and it's a fashion-focused activewear brand with a mission to empower women by making a healthy, active lifestyle accessible to everyone 
because of its exceptional price point. Fabletics is your one-stop shop for affordable gym wear and all of their designs are created in-house so you're not going to see these pieces anywhere else. Fabletics has a special offer for you awesomes. You can get two leggings for $24. That's a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. Just go to fabletics.com awesome to take advantage of this deal now. It's fabletics.com awesome and you get two leggings for $24. I've loved everything I've gotten from Fabletics. Their printed leggings are so cute and their hoodies and sweatshirts really keep you warm even in the winter weather. If you've never tried Fabletics, I highly recommend starting on their collections page. You can see all of the trending pieces. Fabletics also releases brand new styles and collections and prints every month. When you become a VIP with Fabletics, you get up to 50% off of regular pricing and instant access to their latest collections and there is no commitment to order on a regular basis you can skip any month so if you're ready to get that heart rate pumping and get your energy flowing i highly recommend checking out fabletics and again don't miss out on their very special offer for the awesomes where you get two leggings for 24 dollars when you sign up as a vip fabletics.com awesome the best part no commitment to purchase monthly free shipping on all orders over $49 at fabletics.com slash awesome. Terms and conditions do apply. Okay. So, so far with our clutter solutions, we've said you got to figure out why you're going to do it and like which approach, even if it's a hybrid of approaches, what's going to work best for our family, for me as a human and for our family, whatever. Then you got to figure out when are you going to do this? Rebecca, I am turning the reins over to you. Because I know the next thing is, especially if you're doing a big project, your closet or the kid's bookshelf or the kid's playroom, whatever, you got to figure out what do I do with all of this stuff that I don't want in my house anymore? I tend to be a donator for the simple reason that I get overwhelmed with, like, if I wanted to sell this, I don't even know what to do. I literally don't know what to do. So I'll just bag it all up and take it to a donation point because I don't know what to do. However, you, my friend, are way better at figuring out like, can I sell this? I bet I could sell this. How am I going to sell this? <laughs> so tell us, share your wisdom with us if we decide we want to sell some of this stuff. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to be very clear that there is no right or wrong here when it comes to selling or donating. The key is getting it out of your house. And you should not feel guilty for feeling motivated by money and having that encourage you to declutter. And you should not feel guilty about simply donating and not taking maybe advantage of some of the financial reward that could come from decluttering. Either one is really okay. I think at your core, you just need to decide what is worth it to me, just getting it out of my house and being 100% done with it through donating or holding on to the things that I have already said I was going to declutter. and then somehow selling them, which could involve taking pictures, making listings, writing descriptions, or selling at a yard sale. Do you want to be done, done, done and just donate? Or do you want to set these things aside? Do you have the storage to set these things aside and then process them again? And here's something else. If you struggle with decluttering and it feels hard for you to get rid of things, it might be really hard for you to then relook at them again and post them and try to sell them at a yard sale or online and that you might change your mind. Like there's different things that are going to go into play here as to which option you want to choose. Neither one of them is wrong. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them is wrong. And here's another answer. You don't have to just choose one either. Like you could say, 
well, this stuff is junk that, I mean, we don't want you donating trash, but this stuff is not worth me taking the time to sell. This item here, I think actually does have some value. So how can I sell that? Like, that's totally okay. Or you can post things for sale and be like, oh my goodness, I did not realize all that was going to go into this. I hate this. I can't stand this. That's fine. Delete the sales post and donate it. Meg, I give you permission to change your mind. Thank you. (laughs) Now I can do it. Someone has to give me permission. Now I have the freedom to do it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to talk about three different ways to sell things. So the first way is eBay. Now my father is big into selling on eBay with his business. I talked to him, I think, for 20 minutes and got all of his eBay tips. Okay, will not take that long today. Here are the pros. The pros of selling on eBay is that you have a national audience. So you're going to have people from all across the country that are looking for maybe that unique special antique item that you found in your closet or in your attic. The cons is that you have to deal with the shipping and that there are fees. So eBay will take between 11 and 15% of your sales. So you have that to consider. Here are some tips. When you want to sell something, if you're curious as to whether it's worth it to sell it on eBay, you want to search for the item that you're going to sell on eBay. And then you want to look and see how much other people have received for that item, Mm -hmm. not how much their starting price is or listings that have not yet sold. You don't want to know just what people are asking for. You want to see what do they actually sell for? Because somebody might be asking $100 for this unique coin But really, in reality, the last person to actually sell that same exact coin only got 20 for it. So you want to look and see how much items are selling for and then use that to help you price your item. My dad recommends actually setting a fixed price for what you want to sell on eBay. eBay is kind of known for their auctions. You know, that used to be the big thing is to sell things on auction through eBay. He actually recommends doing a set fixed price, which is an option now. And you can set it so that it automatically renews every 30 days. He says, start with a higher price. And then after a few days or after a week or two, or after that first 30 days, you can go back and look, you can see the analytics of how many people are actually looking at it. If nobody's looking at it, your price is too high, lower your price, and then it'll renew again for the next 30 days. So you can start higher and then look and see and lower the price. If you do want to do an auction, He recommends setting it for the longest auction days, which is 10 days. And he thinks that Sunday evening at seven o'clock is the best time to have your auction end. And here is why. He says that people will find your item. They'll be thinking about it throughout the week. And then come Sunday evening over that weekend, they have time to sit down and actually make a decision. Be like, okay, well, the auction is ending. I have time to sit here on my computer or on my phone and bid on this and place the order versus an auction that's ending like Monday noon. Like nobody has time for that. Everybody's at work or like reassessing their life for the week. Don't have your auctions end then. So he would always list his items on Thursdays and then the auction will then end 10 days later on Sunday evenings. That is some brilliance. I have never heard that eBay tip, but that makes so much sense. It really does. Love it. He also says, now you have to deal with shipping. People really appreciate feeling like they're not paying for shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So factoring in the shipping costs and then offering free, in quotes here, free shipping really makes a difference. So if it's going to cost you $5 to ship something and you hope to get 20 for it, sell it for $25 and say that, you know, shipping's included or you get free shipping. Now, this is the con is that you do have to deal with shipping. You can go to the post office and they will give you boxes for free that you need to send them then through the post office. You can't use a (laughs) a post office box to do FedEx, but they have, you know, standard boxes, like if it fits, it ships and you can use those for all kinds of things. 
you can also use eBay to help you calculate shipping prices. Okay. You're going to need a PayPal account and everybody has that. So that's maybe another downside. We have to get that. And photos are really, really important. You're allowed up to 12. And he says to take really good pictures. That will make a big difference. And for the headline, for what you want to call your item, you want to fit in as many keywords as possible that people might be searching for. And so go and look for what other people are calling it on eBay and try to use as many of those keywords as possible. So smart. I'm like, do I have something I could sell on eBay? Because now I feel like I can sell something on eBay. <laughs> Great. Do it. Okay. But perhaps Facebook is actually the place where you want to sell. So here are the pros and cons of Facebook Marketplace, which essentially is like yeah. Craigslist. I'm not talking specifically about Craigslist, but it's like Craigslist yes. brought to Facebook. So Facebook has all of these small groups that people have set up, local groups for buy, sell, and trade items. You might have one just for your small community or just for your neighborhood. Well, Facebook has decided to take their marketplace kind of, I want to say like nationwide, but that's not really what I'm trying to say, like yeah. all across the Facebook right. community. But what you can also do is then you could cross post these items for sale into these yeah. smaller groups that you're also part of. So they have changed things up where they've kind of like simplified the process. So the pro of using Facebook is that there's no shipping costs that you have to deal with unless you choose to say that you're willing to ship to somebody. There's no fees and everybody is probably mm -hmm. already on Facebook. So there's a lot of people already hanging out there to see what you have for sale. Now, the cons is that you have to deal with people and that can be a huge con. <laughs> yes. So first of all, in dealing with people, you need to decide how you want to interact with people. Do you want to meet somebody in a public place to do the exchange of the item and the money? Or do you want to do something more like a porch pickup, which personally mm -hmm. is what I opt to do? I tell people I will have it on my porch. You come and you pick it up and you put the money in my mailbox and I don't have mm -hmm. to see anybody. Not that I don't want to see people, but I just yeah, don't, I know. you know, maybe I haven't showered yet. Like, I just don't want to deal with it. And I'm not dragging my kids to the Walmart parking lot and then having you like not show up. Like, I just don't want to yeah. deal with that. So that I prefer porch pickup. So a con here is that you can't see what other items similar to yours have sold for, but you can see how other items mm -hmm. are priced. And so I would say just search for what you want to sell and then try to price things accordingly. Again, the pictures are really important. The first picture that you select will be your cover image. And those are automatically cropped to mm -hmm. a square on Facebook. So you want to keep that in mind when you're taking the picture. Maybe right. even take it in like a yeah. square option because some important details might be missing. And think about, does your first picture clearly show what it is that you're selling? So for example, a while ago, I was selling maternity clothing and I wasn't getting any interest in it. And what I did then is I took a picture of myself wearing a maternity shirt and I like cropped it down to a square and like cropped my head out. And you could see, oh, this yeah. is a pregnant woman. These are maternity clothes where before it just looked like, oh, it's just yeah, like yeah. a shirt. Like exactly. what's so special about it? So think about that when you're posting your picture. And then I really encourage people to post clothing in lots. So selling like a whole summer clothing, 18 month boy lot. And you have pictures of like all of the clothes. You list out what exactly is there, price it all as one lump sum and don't break up the lots. People might say, hey, will you sell me just this red sweater? Say no, because if you say yes, then you have to redo all the pictures, reprice everything, redo the listing. It's just not worth your hassle to break up the lots. Just only sell them as lots. And then again, if you're in some of these other buy, sell, trade groups, you can cross post these items so that they show up in those groups too. And it works mm -hmm. out really well. Yeah. 
Lastly is the yard sale option. So the pro of this is that mostly it's just one huge day and weekend, and then you can be done with it and move a lot of stuff all at once. But the con is, is that you have prep work that you have to do. (laughs) In reality, it's not just one day or one weekend. You have a lot of work to do leading up to it. And also, I would say that this is probably going to earn you the lowest price. So if you're looking to really make the most money that you can, I would explore eBay, Facebook, Craigslist, a consignment shop. And last resort is a yard sale because you want to price these items to move. You should consider this like your last resort in getting any sort of cash for these items. So my tips here are research when to do it, which days of the week are popular in your area? When is there a neighborhood yard sale? And those I would highly recommend joining up with to maximize the traffic that you would receive when at all possible. Collect items to sell over time. When you're thinking about doing a yard sale, you might be really motivated to be like, okay, I'll do a yard sale. I'll declutter my whole home in like two weeks and have a yard sale two weeks from now. That's just going to be really overwhelming. I recommend having a box set aside in your attic, in your garage, in your basement, where as you are decluttering things over time, you put them in the yard sale box. So you can plan your yard sale and certainly declutter for your yard sale, but you don't have to do all of that all in one month because that's really going to burn you out, I would think. Yes. And as you're decluttering, organize those items as much as possible. So if you're getting rid of a lot of books, maybe try to put all the books in one box up in your attic together. And if you're decluttering children's clothing, instead of just throwing all of the outgrown clothing all into one big bag, save yourself some time. Your future self will thank you if you have things separated out. Well, these are the girl clothes. These are the boy clothes. This is 18 months. This is 24 months. You will be so thankful that you did that on the back end rather than trying to do that on top of everything else that goes into your yard sale. And I would say price things over time, at least one week if not two weeks before the yard sale. For me, when I did this, it really helped with my mental fatigue. When I would start to get overwhelmed trying to price things and feel like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this anymore. Then I stopped because my yard sale wasn't like boom the next day. I had given myself time. I stopped. And that made the entire process so much easier. And then of course, price things to sell. As low as you can go, just get it out. And even maybe perhaps the most important of all is have a plan for those yard sale leftovers. What are you going to do? Because there's going to be things left over. So here are your options. One, you can donate absolutely everything. Box it all up. Don't even look at it. Drive it right to the thrift store right then and just be done with it. Option number two, box it all up. It's already priced. Put it back in the attic. Pull it out again next year. Do this on repeat. And maybe some of those things will sell again next year. (laughs) Maybe so. That's the way my sister-in-law does it. She loves it. She has a collection of things that she just, you know, if it doesn't sell this year, it might sell next year. Yeah. Or you can do a hybrid, which is what I did for my last yard sale that I did, is I looked at the things, I saved some of the nicer things, and I donated all the rest. Children's books. I'm like, well... They're children's books. They might actually sell next time. I think that's Mm -hmm. okay. But some of the clothes that were already outdated and not that great, you know, I just let all those go. So have a plan for what you want to do with the leftovers. Donate everything. Box it all up and try again the next time. If storage is, you know, available to you, that's a good option. Or a hybrid of the two. Yes. Oh, my goodness. 
Truly, Rebecca, my mind is like the wheels are turning. I'm like, what could I actually sell around here? (laughs) These are so practical and so helpful. It makes it feel not so overwhelming for sure. So thank you for all of that. You're welcome. Okay, so here's the thing. We've decided why we're doing this. We figured out when we're doing it. Then we figured out what to do with all of this stuff. So now, ideally, once we've worked through the first three solutions here, our home is kind of where we want it to be in terms of decluttered. So now you've got to create a maintenance system that works for you. And again, this is where I get tripped up so often because I kind of like ride the high of a decluttered home for a while. And I kind of get clutter blind because I think, oh, it's okay. It's just like one little thing, but we just did the whole house. What's one little, you know, coat that's not in the right place or whatever. Right. When the whole house looks great, but that is the key. That's the downfall is when you aren't keeping up with, and when I say you, I mean me. (laughs) No, you mean me too. You do. Because it applies. It really does. So yeah, so we have to figure out how do we set ourselves up for success in terms of clutter maintenance? Because here's the thing, we can't freeze time. There's going to be more things that come into our house. There are going to be things that we still have to make decisions on. I was watching one of my favorite Instagram accounts. I've mentioned her before on Sorta Awesome. Her name's Katherine Whitaker. Her Instagram handle is kwhitaker96. I'll put a link in the show notes. She has like six kids and she is definitely one of those naturally organized people, but she's constantly sharing ideas on Instagram for like, especially right now, all the declutter stuff. She said something that I thought was fantastic because it was dealing with kids stuff and toys, especially. We've probably all heard the idea when one thing comes in, like get rid of one thing. So if they get new toys, Mm, like get rid of one. She's like, no, no, that's not enough with kids stuff, especially if you have a lot of kids. When one thing comes in, get rid of two things. (laughs) Mm. that's a really good way to stay on top of that. And I was like, that's so smart. So it's almost like if you can convince yourself and get into that mind space of like taking the extra step. So that's like getting rid of one extra thing than you would think you would need to do, but you could apply that philosophy in any space. Like, okay, I'm looking at the kitchen counter. There's, you know, a couple of things that are out. No, take the extra step, get it completely cleared off again and kind of figure out what does this look like? Are you going to be a person? My thing is in the kitchen, because it's a pretty small space for us. I like to get that thing decluttered and cleared out every night as we're doing dishes and just like shutting down the kitchen, because that is one of the places in our home where it just piles up and piles up. If you like, just blink your eyes, (laughs) then there's stuff on the counter again. Then, you know, the junk drawer is like literally spitting papers and batteries out onto the floor. Every time you open it. So in the places that are sort of like the clutter hot zones, like take the extra step, be a little bit more proactive than you need to be. And again, figure out what does the schedule look like? Am I a daily person? Am I a Saturday morning? We all deal with all of our own clutter kind of family. Figure out what it is that's going to work for you. Another solution that I really like, because it really speaks to the fact that When you live with a lot of people, there's a lot of stuff. And it's the idea of establishing a clutter preserve, sort of like a wildlife preserve, but it's like a clutter preserve. There's going to be one spot in this room where clutter can pile up. So maybe in your bedroom, you have like when you undress at night and get your pajamas on, you have clothes you wore during the day. They're not super dirty. 
They go you on the chair, to, right? They go on the chair. Yes. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Everybody needs a chair. Doesn't everybody have <laughs> the closed chair in their bedroom? I do. That's what I'm talking about. So there's not clothes strung all over the bedroom at the end of the day, but there's like one chair where you can throw the stuff. Another example, we don't have a coat closet in our house. So I got a coat tree during the winter with four kids. There's coats, there's backpacks, there's shoes. So I have a coat tree in one corner, but there's a chair next to it. And so for the twins, especially who can't reach to the top of the coat tree, I just tell them, put, <laughs> we just call it the coat chair now. I'm like, just throw your coat on the coach here. Maybe I'll hang it up later. Maybe I won't. But it's not, you know, in the middle of the living room floor. It's not in their bedroom. You know, it's in a place. So if you can create a clutter preserve, it's this idea of like, okay, there's going to be clutter. You know, maybe you have a spot where all of the mail goes and maybe it piles up a little bit, but that is the spot. And so when it comes time to, again, whether you're a daily, a weekly, whatever person to hit those hot spots, at least it's all in one place and not strewn all over the house. Yes, that makes sense. So Rebecca, I know you have a fantastic system for dealing with kids' toys and how you kind of cycle through them. I was wondering if you could give us a rundown on that real quick. Well, sure. I am a huge fan of setting up a toy rotation system. So basically what that means for my family is that the bulk of the toys that my children have fit into four different storage bins. They are numbered. I keep them in the basement and we rotate through them. And when I bring out a new bin of toys for my kids, they're suddenly so excited to play with this toy that they haven't had access to for, you know, X number of weeks. And it's kind of like Christmas morning all over again. I find that it's less for me to clean up and for them to clean up and maintain. And it also renews their excitement. I found that my kids weren't playing well with their toys is that even like a thing that you can say that like uh, yes it definitely okay. is yeah <laughs> I get it you're not playing right <laughs> but I think as parents like you know what I mean like yeah. the play ends up like dumping all the toys everywhere without yes. actually playing with any of them yes so I set up a toy rotation system that I've been using in my house for several years now and I really really do like it it has been a huge benefit now the big question that I get about this is how do you set it up? So it really is not that complicated. First, you want to identify what you want to keep out all the time versus what you want to rotate. So things that I don't rotate for my kids are things like books. Most of the art supplies are out all the time that they would have access to, you know, precious stuffed animals and dolls for Pete's sakes. Of course, we're not like putting those in the basement for weeks on end. And then any maybe really big favorites. And I don't mean like physically big, although that can apply too. But the things that your kids are really into right now that they're going to every day, like the Legos, the Barbies, the Thomas, the train set, things that you really are going to want access to like all the time. So then once you've identified the things that you're going to leave out all the time for your kids versus what you're going to rotate, gather all those toys that you're going to rotate and gather all the toys. You're also going to want a trash bag. You're going to want some sort of donation or yard sale box or box of things to sell. You also might want a box for toys to pack away. Maybe you're not done growing your family yet, but your youngest has outgrown some items and you want to pack those away to bring out for a future baby. Or there's a larger age gap between your kids and you're like, well, this is too young for kid A, but it's too old still for kid C. And so you want to pack some of those things away. If you have the storage to do it, that's totally okay. So you're going to want bins to store your things and then those different other boxes or trash bags. 
Then I would sort the toys into the bins with some intention, but also don't overthink it. You don't need to get too hung up on it. So first rule of thumb here is that you want something for each kid in each bin. So for example, with my life, my two-year-old little boy, Isaac, is going to be excited about very different things than his nine-year-old big sister, Grace. So I need to be sure that I have something age appropriate for each child in each bin. And then also maybe something, you know, gender appropriate or whatever is happening in your family. You want to have those types of things spread out. And then also spread out the different types of toys across each of the bins. So you don't want one bin that maybe has like 10 puzzles in it. Instead, put two puzzles in each bin. And that could also apply to things like cars and trucks or pretend play items in each bin, like dolls or stuffed animals, maybe the little people sets. You want to kind of spread those things out. And so you pull out a bin of toys and it might be a truck that's in that bin. And you had a truck in the last bin, but this is like a new truck. And so they're excited about it again. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that's how I would do it. And then, of course, you need a place to put these things. And then the second question is, well, then how do you know when to rotate them? And for me, you know, I'm not much of a schedule type of girl. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. So I have no schedule and I have no concept of time. I also suffer from time passage awareness disorder. So I don't know how long it's been since the last bin was opened. If you want somebody to tell you how often to rotate your toys, then I would say once or twice a month would probably be great. If you don't want to like put something on your calendar or schedule and you just want to go with the flow more, then follow the lead of your children. You know, when they start acting bored. Yes then you want to rotate. This doesn't have to be a secret that you're doing this. You know, like if they are asking, can we get out a new bin of toys? You know, then get out a new bin. Yeah. You might also find that you want to rotate more in the wintertime than in the summertime when you're like stuck in the house more often. So Mm -hmm. I would say that toy rotation is really good for kids ages zero, you know, up through 10, maybe even a little bit older. But, you know, as kids start getting older, they start playing with toys less. Their play just kind of looks different. Yeah. They're better able Mm -hmm. to manage their toys and organize themselves. And so I actually talked to my daughter, Grace. I just completely rehauled my toy rotation system right before Christmas. And I talked to my daughter and I said, hey, I just want you to know, like when you think about what you play with and what you like to do a lot, those are things that aren't always in the bin of toys. So I'm going to keep doing the toy rotation and there's something for you in each bin. There's not as many things. My daughter's nine. I feel like she got it. I think she understands. If you have like all just elementary age children, this probably wouldn't be a good fit for you. But if you have younger children, then I think this could be something that would really benefit you and them. I love that. And I think it is such a practical way to say, okay, this is the reality of where our family is right now. And this is what we need to do to keep a little bit of sanity in terms of how much stuff we have out all the time. It's a totally workable solution that doesn't, you know, necessarily go all the way to getting rid of all of the toys. So yeah, I think that that is such a big key. It's just like figuring out what's going to work and then maybe even offer yourself, like if you're one of those people who kind of needs external motivation, think about like, okay, Saturday mornings are going to be our put everything back in its home where it belongs time. And then we go do something fun as a family, you know, figure out a, a way to build it in, make it a routine, make it a habit which is kind of boring. But I mean, honestly, in terms of maintenance, you kind of have to make it a habit. The last one I wanted to talk about in terms of a clutter solution is I think 
that many of us are going to find as we really are working on moving out stuff that we don't need and don't want in our homes, that it starts to motivate other areas of our lives. So I'm just going to leave you with this last thought. Think about ways that you can declutter digitally. I was just saying on the episode last week, one of the few parts of my life that's consistently pretty well organized is my digital life, right? Because it's easier in some ways. And also it's just mine. It's nobody else's stuff. Like what's on my phone and what's on my laptop. It's just mine to deal with. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have to take anyone else's opinions or desires into consideration. But one tip like cluttering digitally that is so smart is what Laura shared with us when we were talking about digital solutions last year or the year before, whatever year it was, sometime I was sort of awesome. <laughs> was the idea of deleting the pictures at the end of the day to, so that you're only keeping your best I pictures totally in your phone. I totally that down as to talk about here is yes. Laura's daily delete. I feel like that is just revolutionary. Daily delete. Yes, it really is. You might start thinking about how can I declutter my schedule? What am I doing? What's on my schedule that I actually have just been hanging on to? And it's kind of just become clutter in my life. Another big one that I personally am working on right now, and maybe is on a lot of people's minds here at the beginning of the year, how can we declutter our finances? What are the things that we're paying for monthly that are services or whatever that just frankly, I don't know, we don't need it anymore. How can we declutter that? Or we've had this really big budget item for a long time. Is there anything that we can do about this to bring this part of our budget down, which once you kind of get in there and start digging around and doing the work of it, it's kind of liberating to be like, you know what? My finances needed a good decluttering and it feels a lot cleaner and a lot clearer space in here in the old checkbook. Not that many of us actually keep checkbooks hey, anymore. I wrote a you... check just today. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I write checks are for like kids activities, like buying t-shirts or like buying the yearbook. Yeah, it was or a school fundraiser that I wrote the check for. <laughs> Well, another option that you had said was decluttering your meal plan. When I was thinking about how would you declutter a meal plan, I was thinking I have a blogging friend. Her name is Bonnie Greiner. Her blog is Mom by Example. For over 10 years, she made the same 20 meals every single month for her family. Isn't that impressive? I don't know if I would want to do that, but it got me thinking, you know, like you can take extreme action, you know, you can decide, no, I've been thinking too much, too hard. Because I think with meal planning, sometimes you just think too hard. My friend Donna Mm -hmm. from the blog, Hey Donna, she has a little workbook on how to do monthly meal planning. So she does all of that thinking (laughs) all one time instead of four times a month. She's doing it all at once and planning it all, all at once, which I mean, that to me is like the epitome of decluttering a meal plan. Let's simplify it. How can we? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really the thing. A lot of our clutter solutions are about simplifying, about streamlining, about just like you said, taking decisions away. We all have so many decisions to make anyway. So I think that this could be a year where we do look around in our lives like, how can I simplify this? How can I make this actually easier for myself? So those are great ideas and good examples. Okay. Awesome. We want to hear from you. What did we miss? Did we just totally not talk about one of your favorite clutter solutions, or did you learn something new? We know that lots of you awesomes know how to declutter and keep it decluttered. So we want to hear all about that. Rebecca, remind people where we can find you all around the web. Well, you can find my blog at simplyrebecca.com, where I talk a lot about parenthood and homemaking, ways to save money and live a green lifestyle. And then you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Simply Rebecca. And of course, I also just want to say that there is a lot that we talked about here. 
I would highly recommend visiting the show notes for this episode. There's going to be a lot in there about the different decluttering routines and systems and more things about toy rotation and this monthly meal planning and all kinds of things will be in the show notes for this episode. Definitely a good one to check out the show notes for. Remember, you can always do that at sortaawesomeshow.com. If you want to find me on social media, I'm at sortaawesomemeg. The show's over on Twitter at sortaawesomepod. You can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash sortaawesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to SortaAwesomeShow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.